Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Monday, May 30th. We have just completed the observance and celebration of Passover and the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But did you know that Passover is not really over until we get to Shavuot? There is the counting of the Omer, a 50-day count that takes you up to the next biblical feast, which is Shavuot. The Omer is counted each evening after sundown. This year, Shavuot begins at sunset on Saturday, June 4th, and ends at sunset on Monday, June 6th. We are to stand when counting the Omer, and we begin by reciting the following blessing. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kitshanu mitzvotav zivanu al sepirat haomer. Blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to count the Omer. After the blessing, we recite the appropriate day of the count. For example, Hayom Yom Echad La Omer. Today is the 44th day of the counting of the Omer. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Bamidbar, and it means in the wilderness. Numbers one twenty one to forty one. This is the number of men twenty years old or older who were able to go to war as their names were listed in the records of their clans and families. Reuben, forty six thousand five hundred. Simeon, fifty nine thousand three hundred. Gad, forty five thousand six hundred and fifty. Judah, seventy four thousand six hundred. Issachar. 54,400 Zebulun 57,400 Ephraim son of Joseph 40,500 Manasseh son of Joseph 32,200 Benjamin 35,400 Dan 62,700 Asher 41,500 Naphtali 53,400 These were the men registered by Moses and Aaron and the twelve leaders of Israel, all listed according to their ancestral descent. Second Samuel fifteen twenty three to sixteen twenty three. Everyone cried loudly as the king and his followers passed by. 
They crossed the Kidron Valley and then went out toward the wilderness. Zadok and all the Levites also came along carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God and Abiathar offered sacrifices until everyone had passed out of the city. Then the king instructed Zadok to take the Ark of God back into the city. If the Lord sees fit, David said, he will bring me back to see the Ark and the tabernacle again. But if he is through with me, then let him do what seems best to him. The king also told Zadok the priest, Look, here is my plan. You and Abiathar should return quietly to the city with your son, Ahimaaz, and Abiathar's son, Jonathan. I will stop at the shallows of the Jordan River and wait there for a report from you. So Zadok and Abiathar took the Ark of God back to the city and stayed there. David walked up the road to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, and his feet were bare as a sign of mourning. And the people who were with him covered their heads and wept as they climbed the hill. When someone told David that his advisor Ahithophel was now backing Absalom, David prayed, O Lord, let Ahithophel give Absalom foolish advice. When David reached the summit of the Mount of Olives, where people worshipped God, Hushai the archite was waiting there for him. Hushai had torn his clothing and put dirt on his head as a sign of mourning. But David told him, If you go with me, you will only be a burden. Return to Jerusalem and tell Absalom, I will now be your advisor, O king, just as I was your father's advisor in the past. Then you can frustrate and counter Ahithophel's advice. Zadok and Abiathar the priests will be there. Tell them about the plans being made in the king's palace, and they will send their sons Ahimaaz and Jonathan to tell me what is going on. So David's friend Hushai returned to Jerusalem, getting there just as Absalom arrived. When David had gone a little beyond the summit of the Mount of Olives, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, was waiting there for him. He had two donkeys loaded with two hundred loaves of bread, one hundred clusters of raisins, one hundred bunches of summer fruit, and a wineskin full of wine. What are these for? the king asked Ziba. Ziba replied, The donkeys are for the king's people to ride on, and the bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat. The wine is for those who become exhausted in the wilderness. And where is Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson? the king asked him. He stayed in Jerusalem, Ziba replied. He said, Today I will get back the kingdom of my grandfather Saul. In that case, the king told Ziba, I give you everything Mephibosheth owns. I bow before you, Ziba replied. May I always be pleasing to you, my lord, the king. As King David came to Bahurim, a man came out of the village cursing them. It was Shimei, son of Gera, from the same clan as Saul's family. He threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded him. Get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel, he shouted at David. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last you will taste some of your own medicine for you are a murderer. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Abishai, son of Zariah, demanded. 
Let me go over and cut off his head. No, the king said. Who asked your opinion, you sons of Zariah? If the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, My own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do it. And perhaps the Lord will see that I am being wronged and will bless me because of these curses today. So David and his men continued down the road, and Shimei kept pace with them on a nearby hill, cursing and throwing stones and dirt at David. The king and all who were with him grew weary along the way, so they rested when they reached the Jordan River. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the army of Israel arrived at Jerusalem, accompanied by Ahabophel. When David's friend Hushai the archite arrived, he went immediately to see Absalom. Long live the king, he exclaimed. Long live the king. Is this the way you treat your friend David? Absalom asked. Why aren't you with him? I am here because I belong to the man who was chosen by the Lord and by all the men of Israel, Hushai replied. And anyway, why shouldn't I serve you? Just as I was your father's advisor, now I will be your advisor. Then Absalom turned to Ahithophel and asked him, What should I do next? Ahithophel told him, Go and sleep with your father's concubines, for he has left them here to look after the palace. Then all Israel will know that you have insulted your father beyond hope of reconciliation, and they will throw their support to you. So they set up a tent on the palace roof where everyone could see it, and Absalom went in and had sex with his father's concubines. Absalom followed Ahithophel's advice just as David had done. For every word Ahithophel spoke seemed as wise as though it had come directly from the mouth of God. John 18.25-19.22 Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Yeshua? Again, Peter denied it and immediately a rooster crowed. Yeshua's trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them, and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, What is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Yeshua's prediction about the way he would die. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Yeshua to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. Yeshua replied, Is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. 
Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Yeshua answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, So you are a king? Yeshua responded, You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, He is not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, No, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Then Pilate had Yeshua flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews! they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I am going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Yeshua came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and the temple guards began shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Take him yourself and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, By our law he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Yeshua back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Yeshua gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And then Yeshua said, You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Yeshua out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat in the platform that is called the stone pavement, in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, Look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Yeshua over to them to be crucified. So they took Yeshua away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the Place of the Skull. In Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Yeshua between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the road that read, Yeshua of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The place where Yeshua was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the king of the Jews to, He said, 
I am king of the Jews. Pilate replied, No, what I have written, I have written. Psalm 119, 113-128 I hate those with divided loyalties, but I love your instructions. You are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. Yet out of my life, you evil-minded people, for I intend to obey the commands of my God. Lord, sustain me as you promise that I may live. Do not let my hope be crushed. Sustain me and I will be rescued. Then I will meditate continually on your decrees. But you have rejected all who stray from your decrees. They are only fooling themselves. You skim off the wicked of the earth like scum. No wonder I love to obey your laws. I tremble in fear of you. I stand in awe of your regulations. Don't leave me to the mercy of my enemies, for I have done what is just and right. Please guarantee a blessing for me. Don't let the arrogant oppress me. My eyes strain to see your rescue, to see the truth of your promise fulfilled. I am your servant. Deal with me in unfailing love. And teach me your decrees. Give discernment to me, your servant. Then I will understand your laws. Lord, it is time for you to act, for these evil people have violated your instructions. Truly, I love your commands more than gold, even the finest gold. Each of your commandments is right. That is why I hate every false way. Proverbs 16, 10 and 11 The king speaks with divine wisdom. He must never judge unfairly. The Lord demands accurate scales and balances. He sets the standards for fairness. I'd like to speak to you today from our reading from John chapter 18 and 19. And in these chapters, we see the crucifixion with Yeshua. We see him go through a monkey trial, a circus trial. We see him being falsely accused. We see him being shamed and disgraced. We see him being crowned with a crown of thorns and a robe put upon him. And as he's questioned before Pilate, Pilate sees that this man has done no wrong, and he does not want to execute him. But the religious leaders insist and it's sometimes it's very good to just reflect upon and remember what our lord went through at his at the end of his life on this earth to remember the suffering and the excruciating death that he went through with those nails going into his hands and into his feet He took upon your sin and my sin upon himself and suffered and died. Why did he do that? He did it for such love, such amazing love. 
and he knew in advance when he laid down his life he knew in advance as he looked forward looked ahead to cross he knew that initially you and i would reject him we would turn our back upon him we would spit on him and he still did it anyway even while we were yet sinners before we came to know him before we came to love him he died when we were in our worst most deplorable condition because he knew what we would become he knew what our future was and he wanted to secure our future and so he laid down his life and took all this persecution and shame and disgrace and suffering upon himself so that we could become who he sees us as in romans 8 verses 17 and 18 it is written and since we are his children we are his heirs in fact together with christ we are heirs of god's glory but if we are to share his glory we must also share his suffering yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later i've been pondering on this for some time now what does it really mean to share in his suffering well we look at what he went through in the way of suffering and we're going to suffer in similar ways not exactly the same it will be different and unique for each person but we will go through seasons of suffering where we are misunderstood or falsely accused or we show love and demonstrate love and it's not given back or ignored or were persecuted and so we share in the fellowship of his suffering why because later somehow i don't know how god does it he translates the suffering into glory and the suffering that we go through later on becomes glory the glory of god within us and somehow that's the path that if we want to walk in the glory of yeshua we're going to also it's going to be preceded by walking in his suffering it's going to look different for each and every one of us but be encouraged that yeshua suffered and he overcame and he rose from the dead and now he is in his glory with the father and he will give you and he will give me exactly what we need to get through that season of suffering he wants to purge he wants to cleanse he wants to refine he wants the character of yeshua to come forth and to shine through those seasons of suffering he wants to purge out the dross and remove the impurities and he wants us to come forth in gentleness in humility in loving kindness in forgiveness 
to really shine the nature and the character of Yeshua to those around us as we go through those sufferings. The main thing to do is to cling to Him. Are you rejected? Are you being hated? Are you being ignored? Cling to Yeshua and let His love embrace you. Are you being verbally abused? Immerse yourself in the Word and renew your mind with the Word of God, with His truth. Don't come into alignment with the lies of the enemy. Father, we thank you so much for the incredible gift that you sent to us in Yeshua. Today we remember how he hung on the cross and how he gave up his life and laid it down lovingly for us, his stubborn, obstinate sheep, his wayward sheep. Thank you that he is our shepherd. Thank you that he lays down his life for us. Thank you that in him, when we turn to him and embrace him, we have life eternal. We have forgiveness. We have his love and his presence. We thank you for the gift that Yeshua gives to us of eternal life. May we walk in his footsteps. May we not murmur, complain, or grumble when we go through hard times. May we embrace the fellowship of his suffering. And may that glory come upon us in your way and in your time. In Yeshua's name, Amen. Please enjoy this beautiful classic hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross sung by Keith and Kristen Getty.
Ivrekka Adonai Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs> 